think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen Furst. Well, welcome to another episode of Kidney Talk. We have Diane Wish, who's a registered nurse and a president and CEO of the Center for Dialysis Care in Cleveland, Ohio, and president-elect for the National Renal Administrators Association. Well, welcome to the show, Diane. My pleasure to be here. Well, you know, we have a, a huge change coming um, down the pike for uh, people in the dialysis community, and they're going to change the payment system. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that change? Yes. Um, as of January 1st of 2011, the dialysis facilities will be paid on what they call an expanded bundle. Right now, we have a smaller bundle, which is usually referred to as the composite rate, where a dialysis facility gets paid for everything involved in the dialysis treatment, except that there are some items that are now separately billable, such as uh, labs and medications such as EPO, vitamin D, iron, and antibiotics. And as of January 1 of 2011, Medicare is going to pay one amount for all of those things all bundled together. So this is going to be a big change for the dialysis community. Um, Does that mean that the uh, patient will have to go to maybe just the dialysis facility to have their labs, or will they be able to uh, have their labs drawn at multiple places? Uh, The way that the final rule came out we think is very favorable for patients. And right now the dialysis facility will be able to draw all the labs that are needed for a patient because things that are not related to their end-stage renal disease can be coded specifically on the bill so that those would be separately billable by the lab on behalf of the patients. So the dialysis facility will not have to assume those costs that are not ESRD related. And the same will go for medication because I understand there's some medications that are included and some medications that are not included. For in-center patients, uh, what is included right now are oral medications that also have an IV equivalent. So if a physician wants to change a patient from an IV med to an oral med, that is currently given in the facility, the dialysis facility will be responsible for that, would have to work out those arrangements. I have a feeling that there won't be too much of that conversion because I think from a, for a lot of reasons it works out best for the facility. If they can give it IV, they're going to continue to give it IV. Now, that is going to change in 2014, and at that point, a number of the oral medications that some of the patients get currently are reimbursed through Medicare Part D, those will be included in an expanded bundle in 2014. But the details of that have not yet been determined. The only other change would be for home dialysis patients because right now the oral medications that they get that do have an IV equivalent, uh, the dialysis facility, the home program, will be responsible for getting those patients those medications. So there will be changes for home patients. And so will dialysis facilities have to become a pharmacy or have an arrangement with a pharmacy? Uh, 
the dialysis facility has several options that they could either become a pharmacy and meet all those requirements, even though I think very few facilities will probably go that route. What most of them will probably do is they will work out an arrangement with a, um, a pharmacy to get the medications uh, remotely. So that with a like a specialty pharmacy that would uh, you know send the mail order pharmacy type of arrangement. I think that that's what a lot of facilities would probably do to make sure that uh, the patients are getting the the medications that they need. Since the composite rate or the expanded bundle has increased, uh, patients' copays will come up. Correct. Uh, Yes. The, the, the reason why, well, there's a couple of reasons why it might increase, and the major one is is that currently the labs are paid for by Medicare at 100%, and patients don't have any 20% copay for the laboratory component of what is drawn. But as of January 1, the lab part of it is going to be included in the expanded bundle, and the patient would be responsible for the 20% of the lab costs. Also, for the, the general 20%, it's going to be more even for all patients to a certain extent. So right now, patients who have um, a high dose of EPO, their 20% is higher currently because they are using more EPO. Where going forward, the ones that have a high dose of EPO, they probably might be paying a little bit less for that part of it other than the lab piece that will be added on because it's going to be more of an... um, an even bundle for all patients. There are going to be a few things that, that modify that, but for, you know, just for EPO in itself, a patient who was using a lot of EPO might be spending less for their copay. A person that had a very low EPO dose would be spending more for their copay. Well, you know, I was thinking about the lab tests, and I know one of the questions that have come up um, through the WeCAN program is that you know, when I was on dialysis and a lot of people were on dialysis, they get really uh, worried about their potassium. And I don't know if that's a huge cost, but if a patient comes in and wants to have their potassium drawn multiple times because they just don't understand where it's at or they're fearful of it being too high, how would that work in a facility? Will patients be limited to the number of lab tests they can have? Probably not. I haven't heard that to be a problem because currently potassium is already included in the lab bundled under the current composite rate, that there are a number of labs that have been included in the composite rate ever since uh, 1983, and potassium is one of those. And I haven't heard that to be a problem in the past, so I don't really see that being a problem in the future. Uh, One of the things that, you know, as we move forward, is home dialysis going to be impacted? Do you think it will grow uh, with this new uh, bundled payment system, or do you think it'll impact peritoneal dialysis or home hemodialysis? Well, I think that it could change. I think that CMS believes that there will be a significantly larger percentage of patients that now go on PD because it would be financially advantageous to have more patients on PD. I think that the variability of that still depends upon, to a great extent, the physician's likelihood to be supportive of PD as a therapy. Some physicians are really in favor of PD, other physicians are not, and it also comes down to what the patient wants, whether the patient is motivated to want to do PD versus go to a facility for uh, in-center dialysis or also to do home dialysis. So. Um, it's still, I think, to a great extent up to whether a patient is motivated to do that or not and also whether a physician is motivated to promote that therapy. The one thing that I think will be helpful 
now is that, uh, compared to the proposed rule and the final rule, is that currently dialysis facilities that provide home dialysis services do get paid a little bit extra for that training treatment. In the proposed rule, they weren't going to provide any extra, which was going to be a huge disincentive. Now they are providing a little bit more for the training treatment, but it's nowhere close to what it really costs to provide home dialysis training. But at least they're going to give a little bit more than what they have been giving in the past. So if they hadn't done that, I think there would have been a huge decrease in the number of people going on um, home therapies. But now uh, at least that barrier has been removed. And I think from a financial standpoint, home therapies, especially PD, has always been advantageous from a financial standpoint. It might increase now because of the expanded bundle, but it still comes down to whether a patient is motivated to uh, move to a home therapy and whether the physician is, you know, supportive of that. Well, will this include, I mean, I know right now um, uh, in certain cases, patients are allowed medically justified extra treatments. Will that be allowed in the new bundled payment system? Yes, it is allowed in there. What we're not sure about is whether CMS is going to change any of the the justifications or whether they're going to approve it or not. But it is allowed in the new rule that because the reimbursement is on a per-treatment basis versus a per-week or per-month basis, so theoretically it is still allowed provided there is medical justification. There isn't anything to say that they're going to evaluate the justification any differently than they currently are. So that's something we'll probably have to wait and see. So there's no prohibition to it. It doesn't say that they're going to you know, um, administer it any differently than they are today. But that's one that we'll have to wait and see. I'm hopeful that it will remain the same. Um, Medicare has agreed to develop quality measures. There's a quality program that's in the works right now, and there's three measures that they've proposed. Um, can you say a little bit about them and why these are important? Yes. that This is the end-stage renal disease program is the first prospective payment system that is going to be tied to quality outcomes for a portion of the reimbursement. They call it a quality incentive program, but it's really a stick versus a carrot approach. So uh, this year, they have decided to pick three quality indicators by kind of starting off simple. And they also need to make sure that they have the data gathered so that they can evaluate it. So those reasons, they're taking information that currently exists on the Medicare claims or the Medicare bills that facilities submit to CMS. For the first year, they're going to pick two indicators of anemia management and one for dialysis adequacy. So the two anemia indicators are hemoglobins less than 10 and hemoglobins greater than 12. And for the adequacy indicator, they're looking at uh, URRs or urea reduction ratios and the percentage of patients greater than or equal to 65%. I think that CMS and everybody else in the world knows that KT over V is a much better indicator of adequacy than URR. However, CMS doesn't have any KT over V data. They only have URR data. Now, as of July 1 of 2010, facilities are now putting KT over Vs on the bill so that I think in the future they will be moving to that. But right now they're looking at dialysis adequacy to make sure that patients are adequately dialyzed, and they're also concerned from an anemia standpoint that patients are getting enough EPO so that they're not being, um, it's not being underutilized. 
and they have weighted these, at least if there's proposed rules as far as how the quality incentive program is supposed to work. And I think facilities have up until the um, end of September, the 26th of September, to submit comments to CMS about the quality incentive program. So right now they are proposing that there are three indicators and the percent of patients with the hemoglobin less than 10% is going to be weighted at 50% and then 25% of it would be the percentage of patients with hemoglobins greater than 12 and 25% of it would be the percentage of patients with URRs greater than or equal to 65%. And the outcomes from the facility in 2010 will determine if there's going to be a reduction in the facility's payments in 2012. Right now the proposal is, is that there could be a reduction of zero or up to 2% of the reimbursement in 2012. The idea is to collect the data in 2010, to analyze it and evaluate it in 2011, and then to impact the payment um, in 2012. Well, looking for the future, because quality is such a big, important part of this equation, uh, the community's looking at um, future quality measures in addition to anemia and adequacy. Uh, I know the patient advocates have been looking at some of the ones for bone and mineral metabolism and iron. And do you think that it'll take many years to get to that? I think some of them, it will take a little bit longer, especially on bone and mineral metabolism, because the medical community is not exactly in agreement yet about what those goals should be. And there are different you know, standards right now that KDOKI came up with some standards, and then there's another group, KDIGO, they have different standards. So there's still, until there is good agreement in the physician community about what the goal should be, I think it would be premature and, and imprudent to, to put financial uh, disincentives in the facility reimbursement before the physicians agree on what the goal should be. I think that next year, in 2011, there will be additional indicators. Uh, while we're not sure what those would be, uh, it has to be a method by which they're collecting data. And as of uh, July 1 of this year, facilities now are putting on the KT over V, like I mentioned. We also are uh, including the access that was used by the patient on the last treatment of the month, be it a catheter, a graft, or a fistula. And we also need to include on the bills whether or not there was an access infection during the month. So I think that in 2011 that there will be something in there about either a percentage of catheters or percentage of um, fistulas and, and also about access infection. So I think that they're gathering the data in 2000, the last half of 2010 that might be used as a baseline to determine what the the criteria should be for 2011, and they'll compare the, the um, outcomes for 11 compared to uh, the baseline of the last half of 2010. At least that's what my feeling is, and some other people feel that that's probably what CMS might do, assuming they may add additional indicators. I think they would probably drop the URR and put in KT over V because they will be gathering that data, and I'm sure that there will still be some indicators for anemia management. The physicians, and I think the KCP and other organizations feel more strongly that the better uh, indicator for uh, anemia management would be the percentage of patients between 10 to 12, since that's what the FDA, you know, 
says is the target range, and that's also what's on the package insert for EPO. So I think that that could change in 2011. I think, but additional ones, uh, looking at bone mineral metabolism and some other indicators, I, that will take future years before those are determined. And there is a process by which CMS needs to go through in order to to add additional indicators. Well, uh, there's been discussions among the patient groups that, you know, quality of life is really important to patients. And I know that's been a discussion, how do you really measure quality of life? And uh, do you think rehabilitation or volunteering would ever come up as a measure uh, for CMS? Um, I would never say never, but I don't think that that's going to come up in the in the near future because there isn't agreement yet on how to measure it and, and what really the facilities have control over to change in order to impact those outcomes. So I think that's going to be a difficult one for them to tie facility reimbursement to uh, in the in the short run. Maybe in the long run they will, but uh, but the conditions for coverage really require facilities to look at quality of life measures. There will be more of an awareness, and I think that's really where it needs to start is to increase awareness and to have more people using those tools and figuring out kind of what can or should be done to improve outcomes. And until that that art and science is more developed, I think that um, it would be premature to include that in a um, financial penalty or incentive. In 2011, uh, this program is going to be phased in over several years. So how will patients know if their facility is changing? Um, will you think there will be any signs or what can patients look for in this change uh, as this change occurs? It's a good question. I'm not sure how every facility is going to announce to their patients which way they're going and whether they or even planning on doing that or not. I hadn't even thought about that until you mentioned it. But we're still, uh, all facilities have up until November 1 to make a determination of whether they want to phase in over four years or whether they want to opt in, you know, right away uh, with a full bundle. And the National Renal Administrators Association does have a calculator that was developed by Avalier and Associates that a lot of facilities are utilizing to input the data and to find out statistically where they would be better off. Would they be better off from a financial standpoint opting in uh, on January 1 fully into the bundle or phasing in over four years? So the facilities are in the process of trying to evaluate that based on data, based on you know other things that are going on in their facilities and how many changes they need to make. Um, and it probably is something that the patient should be aware of. Now, this is going to be a huge shift in the change of how dialysis is paid for. Uh, you know, there's always difficulties in implementing a new program. Um, what are the things that you're going to be looking out for? Well, obviously, we need to manage costs overall because Medicare is assuming that everybody will make changes and become more efficient, so they are already dropping the reimbursement by 2% so that they keep their savings. Then in the first year, based on um, Medicare's assumptions of how many facilities are going to opt in and phase in, they are they need it to be budget neutral, so they are taking off another 3.1% off of the reimbursement, which is over a $6 per treatment cut that everybody's going to get in year one. Everybody has to look at how we're going to cut costs in order to um, live within the new reimbursement system. I think that a lot of people, the main thing to look at as well is obviously the utilization of medications. 
and EPO is the prime medication that is used by facilities, and it depends on, you know, what their current dose of EPO is and uh, what kind of changes they need to make. In our facilities, we already have a fairly low dose of EPO for all of our patients and always have for many years, so I'm not sure how much lower it's even going to be in our facilities, but I know ours is significantly lower than kind of what the national average is. I think that before when the range was 10 to 12, I think some facilities were targeting more on the high end, and now because of the reimbursement, but also because of the new information that's come out from the FDA and the black box warning and so forth, is that the challenge is, is to try to target it more on the low end, but to make sure that patients are getting enough EPO so that they don't need to have more transfusions. And that's really what the FDA is saying, that patients should get enough EPO to maintain their hemoglobin so that they don't need to be transfused. And that is primarily why Medicare is looking at the percentage of patients less than 10 and weighting that at 50% to make sure that the patients are getting enough EPO, but yet when it makes sure that it's within the right range, but to make sure that, that facilities aren't decreasing the doses so much that you have a lot more patients that are below 10, and that then I think they will also be tracking blood transfusions. And they know what that data is, how many they've been paying for in the past, and to see whether or not that number increases. Well, that's going to be interesting because that can be difficult to do because uh, patients' hemoglobin can fluctuate kind of bit. So. It's not an easy thing to manage, especially within a very small, narrow range. And I know at when, when we look at the range of patients that are below 10, most of the time they're not below 10 for a long period of time, that they're below 10 and then they're between 10 and 12 and then they're above 12 and then you want to you know, change the dose and then they start going lower and they're in the range and then they may dip below and above. So it's really hard to manage within a very small percent range between 10 and 12. It seems like it should be easier to do than it is, plus on top of it, then patients also have, they go in the hospital, they have surgeries and some other things that could impact what their, um, their hemoglobin is. So it's a, it's a tightrope to watch, but uh, the other thing is, is that most facilities kind of look at a point in time and how many patients they have that are below 10. However, the way Medicare will probably be looking at it, even though that isn't finalized yet, is that they may be averaging it for the whole patient for the whole year, which would be a better way to do it. So that will take into consideration the ones that are going above and below, and uh, hopefully it will even that out. Well, yeah, because the day of the draw, I mean, if you've just gone in the hospital or your your dry weight isn't um, correct, something that's going on, it's going to throw that number off. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it would make sense to uh, try to figure out a better way because if it's the, the, the day of the blood draw is right after one of those incidents could throw off um, the numbers. Right. So Medicare is going to be looking at it. Like if a patient is at a facility for all 12 months and they're not a new patient, there would be 12 values for them to look at an average. So it's a matter of we're not sure how they're going to do it. Are they going to look at, like, all 12 values and average those? Are they going to look at a three-month uh, rolling average and look at what that is? We're not exactly sure how they're going to do it, and I know that the, I believe, KCP and the physician groups have some recommendations that they're going to be putting forward to CMS on the um, quality improvement program um, at the end of the month that will look at better ways to uh, more accurately determine 
what that facility's um, results are. Well, next year, it sounds like everybody's going to have to be on their toes and be alert when the system changes, because uh, sometimes things happen that you don't anticipate. And uh, hopefully, CMS will make changes if, if there's any negative reactions in the patient community. So uh, it's, a, it's a big change. And um, Diane, I thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom on the final rule. And, uh, you know, the National Renal Administrators is a, a association is working very hard, as well as Kidney Care Partners. And uh, the We Can Patient Advocacy Group of RSN. And if you want to get involved in, in learning more about uh, the final rule and how things are going to change, uh, contact RSN. Or if you're a professional, contact the National Renal Administrators Association. So I thank you, Diane, for participating. And uh, um, I wish you the best of luck in this transition. And I look forward to seeing you at the next meeting. Thank you very much. Thank you, Diane. We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. 